Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, rethinking Kool-Aid, reworking your spice drawer, reducing bacon cravings, and a beerful cure. Hello, Josh. Hello. How are you doing? I am really well. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. What's up? Uh, actually, you know what's happening today? What? This morning, uh, as of sort of last night after dinner this morning, I'm having a really like crazy smell moment, <gasps> right? As you know, I'm trying, trying to train my sense of smell back into action and something has hit and I am getting these mega wasps, wafts of things. Uh, even in my little jars, I'm getting little, like I was like a little hint of eucalyptus and lemon and rose today happened. And it's really, uh, it's it's destabilizing me. Not in a way that is a ask, problem. Is it exciting it's very, or is it it's destabilizing. Uh, it's not. It's not bad, but it's like, what's happening? What's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm smelling. Oh, I'm smelling. And just last night, I walked into my bathroom and I was like, oh, there's my nice Aveda shampoo. And I was like, oh, how do I know that? Wait, I may. I must have smelled like whoa, whoa. Uh, so yeah. So it, it, there's there's expanse in my experience of today because I'm like bigger things are happening. Just chilling out in your apartment just is an adventure. A hundred percent. Just walking around my apartment is becoming a new adventure. Wow. Yeah. I opened the spice cupboard and I got a waft and I was like, oh, oh, I smelled something. I still can't always tell you what it is, but I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, 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 something. And what do you do in those moments? Do you linger for a second and I try do. to figure I it out? I try to or? pause and just stay there. Um, mm-hmm. But invariably, when I go back, it's gone. Right? It does. It is not a last. It's very fleeting. Yeah. Which is. But the thing is, it is fleeting. It doesn't mm. stay, right? I can't go back and revisit. I just have to accept that for a brief moment it was there. Smell is so tricky. It's really, really. I've actually been training my sense of smell Oh, tell as me well. more. Yes. I'm uh, expanding my services to include sensory of hops. Mm. So I've been using this kit to train on the various types of aromas that are found in hops. And some days, yeah, I can smell them all great. And some days I'll pick up one of the vials and the first hit I can tell what it is and then it completely disappears. And I'm oh, and it's like there's nothing in the vial. You it's and so your like well-functioning nose are even still happening. Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's very tricky, the sense oh, of smell. Okay. And the order in which I'm smelling them, I've noticed really impacts. So I've been just blind quizzing myself. Okay. Uh, but... You know what? When you graduate from your four containers, I'll be happy to lend you my. Oh, I love this! You have a little two point oh opportunity because <laughs> they, well, there are cute. a lot of culinary. There's a vegetal, a herbal. Oh, that uh, makes three a lot different of sense. Kinds of fruits, woody, like all things that I think. After would be I've perfected to you. these singular notes, yeah, then to move on, I like it a lot. So, shall we dive into our first? Let's do it. I'm really topic. excited about this one. All right. Uh, the title of the piece is called Kool-Aid Chef, and it's a first-person account from a young black chef dude in the U.S., mm-hmm. right? And he was he sort of centered this conversation around the idea of serving Kool-Aid on a restaurant or a bar menu, right? He, he talked about the experience of having been at a restaurant and Kool-Aid was in one of the cocktails. I was so yeah. struck by his comment. Tell me. He said, let me see if I can find it here. I found it to be racism with a red Kool-Aid flavored cherry on top. Right. 
It was in, Those it are was mega. Words. There were it was a very uh there there he he sort of placed this conversation in a, in a context that I that was new to me. To me as right? well, right? Which I, have to I was be sort of delighted for the 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 broadening of my sense of it. Uh, and I think it, the important thing is because this is a very American context with the Kool Aid, right? I don't think Kool Aid necessarily had the spread. Uh, across in households up here in Canada that it necessarily did down in the U.S. Yeah. I don't believe that's Not the case. Not to my knowledge. But I really, uh, when he started talking about the difference that exists between um, what it would be like for him as a young black chef to put Kool-Aid on a menu and mm-hmm. have that be about politics and sort of a heaviness with a sort of poverty and history and that sort of thing. He said he would feel shame. This is it, right? That if he did that, whereas when a a white chef puts it on a menu, uh, there's sort of kitsch and nostalgia and, and a bit of humor connected to that. And uh, that just felt like such a huge thing to say. I needed to think about that for a while, right? It was really interesting in his whole talk about struggle food yes. and things that he associated with his culture. And it brought me back. I don't know. Do you know the musical Hair? Yes, of course. So I... I'm a child of the 70s. <laughs> I was super obsessed with okay. Hair in my early teens. And there is a song in there called Colored Spade, okay. which is essentially uh, a black man rattling off every single pejorative term oh, wow. used for black people. Oh, I feel like I've heard this song. And okay. In there, I remember, because if I'm obsessed with a song, I need to sing along. So I always look up the words. You and me both. And I remember uh, reading in the lyrics, watermelon, hominy grits, pigtails, black-eyed peas, colored greens. uh, Sorry, collared greens. Yes. Collared greens. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, And just thinking, what? What's this about? Yeah. What is this? Right. Um, But I think it was the... First time and probably the only time until I came back and read this article now that I realized this uh, stigma mm-hmm. around foods. Yep. And foods as symbols of status and class. Yes. In this way that is, I don't know, that, that really feels like it burns into people. Right. I Because really the confession about the Kool-Aid is about poverty. Right. Yes. This is really what we're talking about. Right. I did a bit of digging uh, in into Kool-Aid itself. Mm-hmm. And found, like, the, I mean, the curiosity of the fact that it became this powdered thing because of a shipping challenge is amazing, right? Because yes. it once was this <laughs> jelly liquid, and that was too heavy like to move. Like a Ribena. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then they just dehydrated it, and then it became this envelope. But the decision around the Depression to make it a five-cent packet, and that fact that that has stuck, that stuck, it seems, well into the 90s. Well, no, that's a lie. The very well into the price. 70s or 80s, yeah. this nickel a packet thing, right? Which is why the argument was like, it's just pennies a glass, mm-hmm. right? Was always the thing about the Kool-Aid. And then in later years, there was this bit about how you could control the sugar. Yes. Right? Never mind. The, I mean, even just this young man talked about the recipe that he made for his family, which was an outrageous amount of sugar that was involved, right? But I loved that piece of... The article, how he said that he tweaked the sugar and he added a little lemon. A little lemon, it, that's it. It really speaks to his chef tendencies, Indeed. even uh, as, as when as he was kid, young, yeah. and even working with what was around him. Totally at the time, yeah. and I thought, how and the sweetest because he is even that? said that everybody knew when he had right. or had not made it. Right, right, yeah. Uh, I liked, I liked that a lot, um, but. 
obviously the food security activist inside of me was really compelled by this piece around the struggle food, Mm -hmm. particularly because this notion of struggle food uh, is also food that is minimally nutritious. Yes. Right. And that is a really important piece. And so I was curious about the spelling, right, about why it's A-I-D and not A-D-E. Right. Right. Because it suggests A-D-E. Yes, because it's right? a, isn't it inspired it's by like lemonade, lemonade and, or lemonade okay. or whatever. And why? So why is it AID? And the research that I found said that there, in fact, is a legal stipulation that anything with the ADE suffix needs to actually be connected somehow to fruit juice. <laughs> so instead of that, they chose AID and off they went. Oh, my goodness. Right? Which just reinforces this piece, right? It's really something. And then that... It brings to mind that Dave Chappelle. That, exactly, right? Then there's that, that awesome grape little drink grape drink uh, segment. Right? And he, the, I'm like, listen, there are a lot of great lines from that that are not repeatable in this family-friendly context. But one of the things I love the most was he was like, sugar, water, purple. Yes, right? those are the, those <laughs> those are the three are the ingredients. ingredients. Sugar, water, purple, right? It's really, really uh, fascinating. But going back to that video recently, yes, for being reminded of it uh, in reading this article, I was especially struck by the audience reaction because it really made me realize this is a yes. a common experience. And it's, it's a deep identity that, thing. Yeah. Right. That's really what I was taking from this. This is a this is a very deep Black American identity thing, which uh, I I was really interested in this because these are the these are the conversations that emerge when we have more diverse faces with those aprons on in kitchens, contemplating menus and considering things like this. Right. Yeah, and you know things that. I mean, I'm sure those people in Brooklyn who made that cocktail that so offended this yeah. chef, probably it had not even occurred to them. Not at all. The insight was such a valuable piece. I recommend it. And now I actually really want to taste this guy's food. Okay, so here's one that I brought to the table that I really had a hunch that you would be into. Uh, I went deep on organizing my spice cupboard. Something that... I also need to do. <laughs> okay, right. And for for a girl like me uh, with the relationship with food that I do in my my small one bedroom apartment, I sacrificed a linen cupboard. Because an entire linen cupboard cupboard has been sacrificed. My towels are sort of crammed in somewhere because I have this volume of spices and pantry things. How do you find what you're looking for? Well, that's the challenge. So I am a pretty dedicated deli container, masking tape, and Sharpie user, Mm -hmm. much like most... Professional cooks, that's the way we rock it. The deli containers are so great because obviously you can see inside clear ones. And the the short ones, the 250 mil ones can get stacked. Stackable. Right. But I like, I have a seeds, ground, green leafy things, and chilies are my four big columns. Four columns. Right. Okay. But the truth is when I travel anywhere, I buy spices depending on what is of the place that I go to. Right. If I'm like... If I'm in a, when I was in um, Italy, I remember I was like, come on, dried wild oregano in Greece, wild Thai, you know, all these beautiful things. It tastes different. A hundred percent. It tastes different. The sumac that came from a a pal from (gasps) Iran brought me sumac. I was like, yes, please. Love sumac. Right. And then of course. Hard to find here though. Really hard to find here. You gotta, you gotta know what you, and there's a way, uh, there's a lot to talk about. Anyway, the trick is they all come in their own little weird little bags. 
and mm-hmm. they get tossed in as you unpack your suitcase and you're like, oh, there, when, one day I'll make a paella, right. right? And you just sort of leave it. And then like eight months later, it's coated in dust and it, the potency is plummeted. Out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and then what a sadness, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and you open the door to the cupboard and it's just a jumble, right? And for me, it's uninspiring and my heart starts racing with, with Josh, not, fear. I cannot tell you the mess. I'm really delighted I have, to hear that. I have one magnetic uh, oh, yeah, yeah. board that's not too close to my oven, but close enough. Mm-hmm. And that has the things that I regularly, regularly yep. use. Yep. And then everything else is in a drawer. Oh. And what I have learned is kitchen organization is the one downside or the one casualty of being in a house where two people cook. Right. Because everyone has their own organization system. Yes. And two different organization systems happily happening simultaneously equals no. jumbled mess. I, don't know, I believe it. So I believe it. I was very excited about this I am clearly the notion. boss in my own kitchen for <laughs> sure. There's no room for anybody else, 100%. Uh, it's, uh, so, I, so I went looking. Yeah. To see how other people are handling this, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm for sure not the only person with this habit. So what's happening? And so I found this piece. I think it's actually just like a blog post from a few years ago, Spring Cleaning Guide, right? But it is so thorough and extensive. It was. It made me so happy when I read it. I was like, oh, you've really thought about everything. Uh, And the thing that I love the most about what this person was saying was that a more tame, organized spice cupboard uh, equals better meals. For sure. Right? I had not yeah, made that, that connection. Sense. Right? I can open the pantry and say, I have the paella seasoning, I have broth, I have bomba, you know, I have my mm-hmm. rice because it's all there. Then giddy up, let's go. Paella it is. Um, and I, I, that connection was one that I hadn't made before. It's a real one and I live it. But the fact that this person articulated it this way got me really excited. Uh, plus, uh, the need for spring cleaning is almost upon us. True. Uh, so to really rethink your spice cupboard, rethink the way it works. Uh, I realized too, most importantly, I mean, look, I get it. I'm a cook. I'm dorkier about this than the average, but I don't have one of those little skinny glass bottles that you buy in a grocery store. Right. Right. Not one of them. They are impractical. Unless I guess unless you're looking from the top and you can write on the lid. Yeah. Or some people have this like slanted drawer scenario or like on the back of a cupboard door. Uh, Waste of space. Too deep. Can't see what's happening. I don't like the way it works. I do prefer glass to plastic. That would be the only (laughs) thing. Right. Right off the bat. Yeah. This article made me a little nervous. Yeah. Tell me. Because the first thing he talks about, I think it's a he. I think it's a he too. Is... Getting rid of all the stuff the you don't the use. Yes. And I think what he said was with every spice you come across, if you can't immediately think of two or three delicious things that you could make with it, yes. it's got to go. Yep. Yep. And then the argument was, if ever you need it again, it's super cheap to to buy it again. That's it. And that, it, it just, it made me nervous on two fronts. First of all, I, I really don't like the whole, like, I can throw it out because I can buy it again cheap later because yes. it yep. seems so wasteful. But in the context of spices, it makes sense because he also said the shelf life yeah, the, is eight months. And accepting that the potency has disappeared. No, Anyway, I think that's the, the probably the trickiest hurdle. And then what he says after that is all, it's all pretty straightforward about how to organize and thinking about totally. uh, uh, how you use the spices yes. to organize them. 
I which felt made like sense there to me. was also a really cool parallel uh, between uh, the way we can get weirdly aspirational about our wardrobes and about the way we deal with clothes. Mm. Right. In fact, of like keeping clothes around for a version of you that maybe is never going to exist again. Yeah. Right. And so keeping spice mixes around for the version of you that throws fabulous dinner parties when you never actually, you know, that's not who you are. But you sort of keep the bag of spices around as to keep the window open for the fact that maybe one day you will be that person. Right. That's a really good point. Uh, The parallel feels really clear in the Marie Kondo, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, vibe of it all. I'm like, I want to be this person who who makes glorious paellas for my people. But I was like, I. I don't actually even have a kitchen table, <laughs> right? Like let's let's just realign what the what's happening in my what space cupboard to the reality are. of my life. Yeah. And then the other thing, and I wondered because I'm I don't know if this article was written in Canada, mm-hmm. but he mentioned you definitely don't buy your spices at the grocery store. Buy yes. them, and his recommendation was buy them online, which I don't like due to packaging. So I was yes. wondering, where do you recommend buying? I mean, apart yeah. from when traveling. <laughs> Indeed. I have two answers. Okay. Uh, first is I have fallen in love with the spices from Diaspora and Co. Okay. Right, which is important for everybody to know about. Uh, they started with turmeric. The young woman in Oakland, young okay. brown woman, realized that our obsession with golden milk lattes and all of the business, mm-hmm. and her thing was, if the world is this excited, then brown people should be making the money. Nice. So she smartly started a co-op. Mm-hmm. Of farmers who are growing these beautiful heritage strains of turmeric in India, and she is selling them. And the turmeric is alive with flavor in a way that has blown my mind. And I have to tell you, I have been really delighted about the opportunity to put more justice in my spice cupboard. Considering nice. the tradition that I come from, uh, the spices, we just buy them from an Indian grocery, you know what I mean? And they're mm-hmm. often dyed and cut with very much like drugs. Right. (laughs) They're dyed and cut uh, in all these sort of ways. But uh, small cultural markets Mm -hmm. have a fast turnover, which is what you want. Spices will stay on the shelf in a grocery store for a very long time. Buy whole seeds. Markets, they just carry what people use regularly. This is it. Buy whole whole seeds, seeds. grind them yourself. Uh, It'll be worth your while, and the seeds will last much longer on the shelf. Okay. I, th- I think this article has inspired me to do a full Amazing. Let's do it. So this I really wanted to talk about. <laughs> it's a little bit nuts. I am yeah. curious to know your thoughts on this bacon patch. Bacon patch. That uh, professor of experimental psychology at the University of <clears throat> Oxford. Right, I know. His name is Charles Spence. He came up with this. It's essentially a patch that you put on your arm and it's a scratch and sniff. So when you scratch it, it releases the aroma of bacon and cooked bacon. He was specified that you could smell the fat. That would be a very different. Gross. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry. Now I'm imagining a a raw chicken patch. Exactly. Okay. Let's not go there. Um, And the idea is that it's for vegans and vegetarians. And his theory is that it will help curb their cravings for bacon because it'll help them imagine that they're eating bacon and this will sate their appetite. Because apparently studies have shown that scent can reduce food cravings. Right. 
So, like, I, if you could see me now, listeners, my head is shaking because there's just, it feels like there's so many uncontrolled variables in this, in this conversation. First of all, the thing that first shot me uh, was this weirdo assumption that vegans are all suppressed meat eaters. Yes. Right? How, if like, you're craving bacon, maybe you shouldn't be a vegetarian. This is, eat some damn bacon. Uh, that is really, I felt like it's a really unfair assumption because I know a bunch of vegans and vegetarians who are quite averse, who want nothing to do with the smell of caramelizing meat or pork fat or whatever it is, right? Well, that's, to me, the definition of a vegetarian or a vegan. Yes. You know, if... A vegetarianism They're or veganism, out. it's a commitment. It's a choice that you make. It's not like a, a fun thing that you, I yeah, don't know. Or something that you're like white knuckles-ing your way through so that right. you just need to smell a sticker on your arm uh, <laughs> to get the monkey off your back. Can I tell you a funny story about when I was a vegetarian? Yeah, please. <laughs> I think I was 16 or 17, and I, it lasted, you know, five or six months. Right. And the way it ended is that I walked into a cafe with a friend of mine and I was looking at the selection and I ordered a ham and cheese croissant and he turned around to me and he said, aren't you a vegetarian? And I thought about it for a second and I was like, I want that ham and cheese croissant. Yes. I guess I'm not a vegetarian. That's what I knew. Yeah. I was not That's a vegetarian. That's it because your instinct is winning there, right? Yes. Yeah. You want to eat some ham. Oh, that uh, was a funny moment. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, I remember hearing lots of stories of people who are tree planters, mm-hmm. who tree planters who eat bacon. Yeah. Right. Tree planters. But, and, and like, I remember saying, like being like, oh, you're a vegetarian. They're like, yeah, but not for bacon. Not for bacon. So that's the one exception. Bacon seems to be the great. So, so, I, so that perhaps is what is informing but that's, some you of know, this thinking. That's like pescatarians or vegetarians who eat chicken. Like you're not a vegetarian. It, it can you're go an on and on. Precisely. Eater, which is Fine. Fine. It's okay. Now, I will say, though, Mm -hmm. uh, as a cook, right, someone who spends a lot of time around the food before it gets served, there definitely is something to the idea that smelling the food is part of consuming the food. Okay. Right? Because there's many times, like when I'd cook Thanksgiving dinner for my people, Mm -hmm. right, I'd spend the the entire day with that food. I'd, you know, at that point, my sense of smell... (laughs) was up and running so I'd smelled it I had tasted a little spoon you know check mm-hmm. for seasoning but I had emotionally experienced that food and you didn't and I wasn't interested eat in, eating, in eating it I'm, I'd literally made myself a grilled cheese sandwich that's where you and I differ yeah. <laughs> well that's yeah. a very interesting yeah thing to I, hear. I, I, I had the smell helped me eat this it is, this is where I got stuck yeah because in my mind the first thing that came to mind is all these stores that are pumping out food smells to draw people in. Yes. No, you're totally right? You're right. Of course. And I even looked it up. There was this uh, mini mart in the U.S. that started pumping a coffee smell yes. in its environment. And it increased sales of coffee by 300%. Of course it did. All house so, fluffers tell you about baking bread and cookies. Right. Right. We True. You know the fall smell of apple pies and things baking in an oven is, it is a craving. very enticing, mouth-watering kind of thing, right? I just feel like it's a it's a really a gamble to put bacon patches on people I and think assume so too. that it's going to turn them off. Yeah. Uh, I know if I was scratching one of those, I'd I'd be wanting some. I mean, maybe if you, yeah. based on your theory, maybe if you just infuse the whole room with bacon twenty four seven. That'll turn right. them off the bacon. And, and at that point in my much. mind, I'm like, is that a plant-based living? Is that in fact right. plant- if you have to go into a bacon room, 
to you know what I mean <laughs> to, <laughs> to, like to talk yourself down from the ledge right of, you need to go into some weird bacon isolation yeah. room just to get it through the day then maybe that's not quite right Anyway, we wish uh, Charles Spence luck. The, the patch is being speed, tested friend, now. Yes. And they hope that uh, it'll be successful Amazing. and widely available. Amazing. Uh, time will tell. I love it. Joshna, have you ever heard this notion that when you grill meats, they develop some carcinogen, no. carcinogenic properties? This no. wasn't something you'd this heard was before? Brand new to this piece that you shared and I got a little five alarm about the entire scenario I'll be honest it's it's something I've always known in the back of my head it's not something I've been excessively worried about because I'm you know there's carcinogens in the air that we breathe yeah we inhale more car exhaust (laughs) than we have to worry about what's happening on our steak right um but I found out yes through this article Uh that uh, it is due to the formation of something called heterocyclic amines. I've made friends with these words now, yes. And I'm delighted to say that some fine researchers at Memorial University right here in Canada, Newfoundland, uh, have found a solution, or if not a solution, a a way to mitigate the production of these heterocyclic amines. Mm. I've been practicing saying that. I was was playing with the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Nice. Right? The others. Yes. Boom. Um, and I am, as you can imagine, delighted uh, yeah, with I the figured, solution. I figured you'd be pretty chuffed. Yeah. Which is marinating these meats in beer. Right. But craft beer. Craft beer. Right. It is the stipulation is that, right? Right. Because they're saying that it's unfiltered. So yep. it has a wider More organic range of, matter. Mm-hmm. And oddly, this was the piece that I couldn't untangle, and I read a numerous articles. Okay. He sp- I don't know if you noticed, he specifically says beers with herbs, fruits, or spices yes. in them. Yes. And it's never clear if he's just saying that because obviously that makes the marinade more interesting, or if the fruits, herbs, and spices are key to these properties. Yeah, it uh, the what I I remember noting that it was curious that he itemized the bits in yes. those lists and what I got from that was the evidence of the presence of organic materials therefore a testament to the fact that the 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 potency. sort of the potency or the bacterial force mm-hmm. you know behind it is a bit stronger than something in in perhaps a more mainstream sterile I don't know how I thing. Feel about bacterial force. I think uh, in this context, it's it exactly is. what we want, right? Have Both from a, a fermentation. Uh, I did a little. <laughs> I did a little bit. <gasps> I did a little bit because I got a little freaked out about this carcinogens on the meat thing, right? right? Because I like I've taken food safety courses for my entire it career as a chef, and it is never mentioned. That's, I wonder how I know that. Right? Though. It was never mentioned, and I like I just recertified a week and a half ago, so it's fresh in my mind. And there were things that I got from there that were new, but no, never a mention. I guess in my mind, this was just an inevitability of of grilling meats, though. So maybe that's maybe. why they mentioned it. So then I went digging. To, I was okay. like, what are we talking about here? How right. much danger is actually involved right. in the average steak that we're going to eat? Which I'm assuming is not so much. It doesn't but... seem to be right because the rodents in the study. Were given thousands. Wait, rodents? They were, yeah. They okay. did rodents because in the rodents, the, this they is served. This is a separate study. Uh, this is a separate study. Okay. I went digging. <laughs> sorry. Asterisk. I went digging because <laughs> I was a little freaked out. Mm-hmm. So I found a piece where they talked about rodents who were given these foods 
developed tumors and lumps and all those sorts of things, all those cancery things. Oh, okay. But they were given a dose at thousands, the the potency of what an average human will consume on a steak. Okay. Right? So just that's the grain of salt that we need to take this all with. I did not really find any conclusive information to say like the average six ounce steak holds you know what i mean the measurement of this seems to be not cool not it's a very i think it is negligible gray sort of area but curiously they did take the time to give me a list of things to do to prevent or reduce my consumption of the heterocyclic amines and the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons tell me hilarious uh, one is uh, technically rarer meat is more desirable because it spends less time. I'm all for that. Right. I yes. thought a lot of people could be on except for I don't know how we play that game in chicken land. Right. Good. Point. Uh, Although but anyway, I think it's darker meats that are more prone to this. Maybe maybe because they the Newfoundland study was beef and moose. Oh, that's right. I remember the moose. Uh, here's the one that was really gross. Microwave your meat before grilling it. Oh, just because you're worried about the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons? Mm. Uh, the other piece is, this one was interesting, is to continuously turn the meat on the grill. So it never chars. Uh, so it doesn't actually, right? So it doesn't sit for a long period mm-hmm. of time with the flame at it. Which, what's interesting about that is it really goes against our, yeah. f- our food skill. You know what I mean? Our sort of culinary belief that we, uh, you turn a steak once. Yes, of right? course. Right? One over, one over. Although, Not to our mention friends, in the kitchen, that's got to be a little impractical if you have to sit by the meat. hundred percent. Yet, our friends in South America, like an Argentinian asada, mm-hmm. asado, sorry, uh, the way Argentinians cook meat is all about flipping. Just keep flipping. Okay. Right? So maybe there's something there. Uh, and Some then wisdom. this one, remove any charred bits and don't make any gravy from juices. That have been in contact with the charred oh, bits. Those are two solid no's for me. I would say so. So the verdict on this for me is thank God for craft beer. Oh, yeah. It's definitely greater than microwaving. Right? <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Microwave your meat first before you. So the thing that I wasn't sure about is I think in the piece that you sent, there were these cute little jars. Mm-hmm. There was a photo of these jars of beer marinade. What I wasn't sure is is uh, like is the, the bioavailability of this if the, the bacteria is still, still there mm-hmm. when you lock it into a marinade with other things and you seal it in a jar, you know what I mean? Is, is that a real thing or do I just need to crack open a beer and pour it in and not mess around? Right. So that's a good question. I did zero in on the fact that what is in the beer mm-hmm. that is causing this is antioxidants and polyphenols. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, and I know I'm pretty sure polyphenols are quite stable. I'm not sure about antioxidants, mm-hmm. but I think th- I, I've, my gut feelings, they would both remain if you were to, you know, add to process it uh, a few other things. Um, but that's definitely a question worth answering. But it's interesting because, of course, the first place that my mind went to was, haha, it's not wine. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> like then, that, of course. <laughs> and then when I saw the antioxidants, antioxidants and polyphenols, had a moment of panic because wine, of course, has those right. things. So I did my own mini dig. Okay. Just a tiny yeah. one. And I did find a study in 2008 in Portugal okay. where they pan fried beef both with red wine and with beer oh, to like see the effects on the heterocyclic amines. Guess what? Yeah. Beer was more effective. There you go. 
So according to this study, uh, it uh, helps preserve these anti-cancer acids in the meat and greatly improves the antioxidants. So it improves both the nutritional quality and the safety of grilled meats. So something to keep in mind next time you're grilling uh, a piece I of steak. And I am also very curious about what the flavor impact is. Oh, it's still, you've never marinated meat I in have. beer? I have. I'm lying. Of course I have. <laughs> As I say this to you, I'm like, you have done this. You know what this is. It's delicious. It's delicious. And nutritious. All right. I love that. Thanks for that tip. If you're enjoying our podcast, please leave a rating or review. It helps others find us. Hot Plate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Original music by Dave Bell. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Virology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening. Thank you.